my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Starting just a little late today. It's one of those days. Why not just kick it back? Who, who's to say what is late? We always say that the show is the boss around here. You know, as long as the show gets out, the boss is happy because the show is the boss. What a great episode for the topic of being late. Because in this episode, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm here at exactly the right time to do what I need to do. When La'an makes it back to the Enterprise and it's her correct timeline and she's late, yeah, it kind of matters. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Did they get down in this? I didn't, I didn't think they quite got to implying that they got down oh i i think we know based on what we see that they do not i would have liked the steamy scene but maybe they will i feel like if they get down now it's creepy she has like a this whole prior thing with him we gotta talk about this later (laughs) it's too early to talk about it's too early to talk about what do you want to do one of our classic marins bad bit moments oh do you have a bad bit moment um no (laughs) My bits have all been working pretty well lately. <laughs> well, good for you. I actually had an amazing bit the other day that I was very proud of because it worked in so many different levels. Okay. Lay it on me. I saw you the other day. I uh, stopped by your house because I was in the neighborhood. Yeah. I had been taking the baby to the doctor to get a quick checkup and a, and a vaccine. And babies are weird, and this being our first, we have lots of questions that are probably stupid questions, but... When you meet with the doctor, are most of your conversations of a, is this normal variety? I imagine they are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And invariably, the answer is like, yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and like A fun doctor would be like, not all the time. <laughs> a little unusual. For like every single question that a parent has. Oh, I've never seen that before. Yeah, that was kind of the thing was like, we I had like three or four questions. Like I had had a couple and my wife texted me a couple that she wanted me to ask when I was there. That seems like too many questions, Ben. I got through the four questions and all of them were like, yeah, like this is a thing. It is normal. It happens. Do this, you know, put mm-hmm. this kind of ointment or it will get better with time or this is nothing to be concerned about kinds of answers. Right. So I'm I'm like, I'm getting a good vibe from this doctor. And I pick a moment and I take it and I say, hey, um, and then there's just this one last thing. I don't know if you know anything about this, but his belly has been making this weird noise. And she goes, oh, huh. And I do that thing where you put your lips against the baby's belly and go, <laughs> baby cracks up. Doctor cracks up. All I do is fits, fits, fits. No matter what. I got like one of the smartest people in our society and a baby to laugh at the same joke. Ben, there's a very good reason why we don't have a good bit moment job. <laughs> because for the first time in our show's history, you drop one. <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah, an amazing bit. Good bit moment. Big laughs all around. Great bit. Yeah, it was a good bit. And uh, my wife laughed at it later when I told her about it. I was like, you're not going to believe this, but I did a joke at the doctor's office and it went pretty well. If you get a person to laugh and your wife to laugh, you know what that is. <laughs> Legendary bit. <laughs> yeah. You collected all the laughs Yeah. on that side quest, Ben. Uh, <laughs> I got someone with an MD, someone with a JD, and somebody that doesn't have human language yet wow. <laughs> to laugh at one bit. I'm impressed and happy for you. Yeah, felt good. It seems earned and deserved. Yeah, speaking of earned and deserved, this is a big, heavy episode. Yeah. I want to see if you think that this show earned and deserved this episode. All right. Well, let's get into it. So (laughs) much to talk about. So many conclusions to draw from Strange New World Season 2, Episode 3, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. And Toronto. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. No. Our cold open is kind of an employee making it clear that their job is hard. <laughs> and Laan's job places her directly in the middle of conflicts. My wife has a job like this. Yeah. She mostly listens to workplace problems and tries to move people toward productive solutions to those problems. And for Laan, it's like, whether it's an asshole working in the transporter room (laughs) or a noise complaint for Spock or the magnitude or quality of the belongings that Pelia has made a problem for the crew. There's La'an. She's got to deal with it. She's like the concierge of the ship when you're security. It is one of those things. Like, I don't want to call the police for a noise complaint, you know? Like, I don't... I feel like it's bad that she's the concierge of the ship is what I'm saying. Like, I don't want an armed response to kids throwing firecrackers in their backyards next door, you know? Sure. But, I mean, everyone else is an engineer or a doctor, and that pretty much makes (laughs) La'an's job the only one who can catch all. Yeah. And that's really what her job description is. And she's doing so much catching that uh, her burdens are heavy. She needs a way to productively let out her frustrations. And Dr. Mabenga is someone for whom she can straighten out a hairline. Easy. (laughs) They're going to take my head off. But Mabenga's great in the dojo. That's what makes the scene so interesting is like, it's La'an that is out of control and Mabenga who is utterly in control. And they have like a fighting conversation that you see so often in a Rocky movie, right? Like whether you're or not you're sparring or you're fighting someone, they really are having a conversation here. Yeah. I mean, and despite all her rage, they are not fighting in a cage. It's just no. in a regular dojo. Yeah. A low-level crew person has got to resent the idea that a dojo is this nice and has outward-facing windows, right? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really? <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't need that. That's like not no. one of the things on the list of requirements for a dojo. If I look out the window for a second, I'm getting punched in the face. <laughs> I'm keeping my eyes forward. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, uh, I'd say, heading toward burnout. And yeah. the doctor being a healthcare provider is observing some of the stresses that are on her. 
And later she's like walking in the hallway and there's some kind of like energy boop in the hall and a man with a bullet wound stumbles into the wall and like slumps and kind of gives her a gadget and gives her a mission that are pretty hard to follow at this stage of the game. Like he's one of those time travelers who hasn't really thought a lot about how to talk to somebody he meets while on a time travel. And fortunately, he's brought a newspaper with him to help explain the situation. He's like, uh, Lon, there's a problem in the past with a kid. Not your kids, Lon. Your father, who's a kid in the past. Or is it your father's father? I kind of lose track. Anyways, I hit my head on a toilet. And I came up with this. He shows her a device he has, and he says, before dying, you got to take this and go to the bridge. And when he dies, which he does right there, he disappears. He bloops out. I'm so glad you described it as a bloop because, like, a camera flash is not a bloop. No. That is a flash. But, but this light is definitely blooping. This isn't cue light. This is a, a different phenomenon. Yeah. So up to the bridge she goes, and Kirk is sitting in the captain's chair, James T. Yeah. And he's like, who the fuck are you? What's that weird combat you're wearing? Because it's not like mine. Yeah. Which is more of like an elongated pentagon. Why does no one ask each other about the com badges. Hmm. I feel like they're too deep into it before you'd start to get into like jewelry, you know? It's like forgetting someone's name when you meet them. After a certain amount of time, you can't go back for that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like my roommate in uh, sophomore year of college, whose name I did not learn for two and a half months because, you know, he said it once and I forgot it immediately and then I was too embarrassed to ask again. That's tough. Yeah. You didn't even have a name for the person that you wanted to accuse had been masturbating all over your things. Oh, he wasn't the one masturbating all over the things. <laughs> Let's just say. <laughs> this is a United Earth Fleet ship. Mm -hmm. And further evidence that something is fucky is on screen when they meet Spock on a Vulcan ship. And Spock is the captain of this ship begging for help in their war with the Romulans. The Vulcans are at war with the Romulans. The United Earth Fleet doesn't want to get involved. It hurts to watch this in two different ways. It hurts to watch Spock need help and not get it. And it hurts to watch James Kirk be asked for help and not give it. Maybe in some other lifetime, Captain Spock. What a bummer scene. So whack. Yeah. This stranger that no one recognizes is permitted to watch this interaction, though. Yeah. And not only that, once it's over, La'an asks for and is granted a private meeting with the captain of this ship. She looks like she can handle herself, so they're like, let's not send security to try and get their ass kicked by her. Imagine if she just had a little bit more blood on her from that interaction <laughs> with the past man, right? I think this interaction goes way differently on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Like if she's on the bridge and she is covered in that guy's blood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Like in uh, Three Kings when they show up in that yeah. town and they're covered in cow entrails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all cow. 
So he applies Occam's razor to the situation. He's like, you claim to be from a different timeline and to, you know, know of me. What my theory presupposes is you're fucking crazy and this isn't real. You've lost your mind. Give me that gadget. This is one of those scenes in a science fiction show that makes sense for all the right storytelling reasons, but in real life occurs in a wildly different order. Because in real life, you've got to begin with the proof, right? Prove where you're from. But there is a lot of banter back and forth before he's like, give me the device that would prove your story. (laughs) This is a pretty good scene of physical comedy because it is a like... She doesn't want to hurt him. I th- you know, like, I think if she didn't care, she would just deck him, you know? Yeah. There's no way they would be playing tug of war with the time travel gadget. Yeah. But play tug of war they do, and suddenly they bloop. They bloop to an alley where so much blooping tends to occur. Mm. <laughs> ben, this was the exact moment when I noticed something that may or may not be really important to distinguishing this Kirk from the Kirk in, I'm going to say, our universe. Mm. Does his boxy sideburns make him someone from an alternate dimension, whereas our dimension has pointy sideburns on our Starfleets, right? Yeah, they they still have a little bit of a jaunt to them, but they do end in a boxier shape. Yeah. I feel like they did some of this with Spock in Discovery, though. Like, yeah. giving him, like, really crazy, <laughs> extra weird sideburns. The other thing that is very unkirk like about this Kirk is that he's really weak-seeming immediately and immediately blames out of a desperation about his circumstances. It's very unbecoming. Yeah, because they have no space gear. And he's like, this sucks and this is your fault. If, if I'd known we were going on an away mission to the past, I would have gotten a tricorder and a phaser and a communicator. This sucks and I'm cold. Was it always this <laughs> freezing on Earth? And he's also a fool. Like, they walk into what I assume is a famous plaza in downtown Toronto. And there's signs that say Toronto all over the place. And uh, I mean, I think this is just like a film production joke. It's like, ah, New York. And it's like, yes, this is often shot for New York, but it is not. Kirk does so many bits this episode. I think in retrospect, you might think that this is also a bit. Right. It's not good. Kirk has a bad bit moment. Yeah. No bits on La'an is (laughs) a rule of strange new worlds, I think. We learn he was born on the USS Iowa, which is a starship named after a popular brand of CD player and boombox from the 90s. Mmm, homonym. (laughs) I like that joke a lot. (laughs) That's a good rewrite for that moment, because initially it could have been like the USS Ankyo. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. Laon's like, what? Yeah. Kobe? The US says Kobe? That's like a swap meet knockoff brand. <laughs> the same font as Sony. Didn't this scene make you think about Starfleet uniform technology in a way where like, I'm glad that you got to layer up when you're in Starfleet. It means you occasionally need to wear a high necked jacket with a bunch of pockets yeah. or you got to disrobe into an action vest or whatever. Like I like all those scenes. Sure. 
But those scenes are also proof that uniform technology is such that it's not any better than it is today. Like, you don't have a super uniform that can get you through all kinds of weather and all kinds of temperatures. Right. One uniform does not serve all masters. You have to have a fire level uniform, an ice level uniform, a water level uniform. Like there's It's sort of like a Mega Man yeah. situation. <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a bit of a Mega Man. Tin Man. So they, they have to change clothes both to warm up and also to not look like idiots in our time period. If you're going for an all-weather garment, I think leather biker jacket is a great choice, right? Mm-hmm. And they both are thinking the same thing here. Yeah, they're they're both on the, in the same headspace. Uh, he very chivalrously decides to change what his outfit is after they both put on basically the masculine and feminine versions of identical outfits. It's been a long time since I feel like we've confided something embarrassing to one another, and I have an embarrassing confession to make. Okay. Especially to you, who I feel like really (laughs) has it put together clothing-wise. There was a time when I wore proudly a leather jacket that I got from Wilson's (laughs) for like a couple of years, and I looked like the fucking character from Grandma's Boy. How much do clothes cost in the Matrix? (laughs) I did not look like I fit in anywhere. It was like the black leather jacket, like with lapels. Like biker jacket style. It was a bad jacket, and it didn't work for me. I don't know why I got it. I held on too long before finally getting rid of it. I mean, it's an investment, a leather jacket. Oh, yeah, it was. It was a bad investment. This was like right after high school, my first serious job, mm. I remember getting this jacket. Yeah. Not right. Not appropriate. But then, you know how we just moved to my part of LA? Right. And a couple blocks away, there is a store that sells, I would describe like cool clothes for people in rock bands. <laughs> and they had this leather jacket in the window for like weeks. And I'd walk my dog past this window And it's like that scene out of a movie where it's like, someday I'm going to have that jacket. And like, (laughs) I might become cool once I do that. Uh And I recently went into that store like a couple days ago and I asked about the jacket. And he's like, yeah, I still have it. I just, you know, I'm changing stuff in the window. He's like, you can put it on if you want. (laughs) I put on the leather jacket and it felt amazing. It was like a biker leather jacket. Wow. And it was all like distressed and broken in. Like someone had worn it on a bike and then had fallen off that bike, clearly. It looked <laughs> so cool. And I think I looked cool in it. Wow. But the trauma of owning that first leather jacket from Wilson's made me set this leather jacket down and tell him I had to think about it. Oh, man. But I had thought about it. Maybe I'm not leather jacket material. I've never had the confidence for a leather jacket. I really want this leather jacket. These two both look good in this leather jacket. I think it would look good. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. These guys look amazing. And I'm just wondering, like, is it their Starfleet confidence? How do you wear a leather jacket? I don't know. I mean, speaking of looking great, when Kirk changes, Lon gets to kind of inspect the goods because he leaves the curtain a little bit ajar. Yeah. And uh, she's liking what she's seeing. It's not like out of that movie or TV show where you see full frontal Kirk. 
Like you see some side Kirk here. Yeah. There's something very alluring just about side Kirk, you know? It just kind of gives on the impression that there is some uh, some sinews, mm-hmm. some bulges in all the right places. It's a little peek into what you might be in for later. No changing room has a curtain that closes all the way either. <laughs> Yeah, what's the what's up with the curtains? You can jerk and jerk on that curtain, and it is not laying against the frame of the changing room. Adam, how many times do I need to tell you not to jerk it in the changing room? <laughs> Once per clothing store. I thought it was amazing that they taught a real shoplifting technique in this episode. Right? Yeah, this seems like information you wouldn't want to get out to the general public. I love it. This is an episode that is like explicitly the future is a utopian socialist situation and these people don't know how to use money, but Laan does know how to boost merchandise. So they don't know how to get money, but Kirk knows how to wear brown. Yeah. (laughs) Check him out. He looks great. Going to brown town here. Looking good. He's good enough at chess to score them a big fat stack of paper because apparently 2D chess is like checkers to somebody that's used to 3D chess. Amazingly dismissive of normal chess (laughs) is what Kirk is. Yeah. I expected his chess piece to slide right off that Canadian currency. Seems like a pretty dangerous looking stack. It does. It does. Canadian currency not well suited to the wad that you weigh down with one chess piece in your waterfront chess game. like A Canadian gangster's role means something totally different there because, <laughs> because no one actually has that with cash. <laughs> yeah, he beats a bunch of chess hustlers and then just like what seems like a bunch of people that want to challenge him to chess games. I guess like the first person just took it on faith that he had money to put up. Right. I thought the same thing. Which doesn't seem like a chess hustler move. Yeah. But yeah, he apparently gets a shitload of money because he's got three hot dog and fancy hotel room money by the end of this. He does. You can't skip lunch. You just can't, guys. The buns on those glizzies look pretty thick, though. Right? They're thick buns, and he doesn't get any condiments on the dogs. Like... I'm looking at these dogs, no mustard, no relish, no kraut, no nothing. Yeah. No little dice-step onions from the Costco cranker. I love the dice-step onions. I know. Imagine what his stomach is doing almost immediately. Like, (laughs) I thought a lot about digestion this episode, starting here. Because I think a future person's constitution is completely unprepared for what this is. I'm gonna go back and get one more. So this romantic waterfront hot dog date <laughs> turns into them sharing stories about what their Earths are like. Yeah. And, I mean, this is like the opening of a, of a longer conversation about is one of their timelines more worth saving than the other? And... His Earth is a dump. Just wait till you see the pool. His Earth is at war. It's not habitable. Like, he's, you know, proud of who he is and where he comes from. But she's like, you're in my timeline, too. And you're an explorer, not a soldier. And 
my timeline is fucking awesome. Like we live in a socialist utopia. Yeah. And Earth is good. My Earth still has sunsets. They both seem to appreciate this moment in very different ways for that reason, right? Yeah, the sunset really, you know, sets a mood both in terms of, uh, you know, flooding basements and also in terms of giving them an object to compare their yeah. <laughs> timelines to. I mean, in that moment, La'an sees the sun, but later on that night, she sees the moon mm. when she leaves the bedroom of her suite and sees Kirk sleeping on the couch. Yeah. Very chivalrous. She tiptoes over there. I mean, I, I was surprised that they got the same room, but uh, they got a huge room. Like, I feel like we know what a hotel room in Toronto costs. We've toured in Canada. We know how expensive it is to stay there. <laughs> yeah, like room with huge Alaska king-size bed and also separate room with couch in it. That's like a $550 night, right? Oh, brother. We've gotten a lot less for that much. <laughs> Jesus. Tell you what. Uh, hey, how about I book the hotels this tour? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm exaggerating. Okay, good. I'm relieved by that. <laughs> but the point remains, that doesn't look like chess money. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. Do you think that just being from a no money future makes you a bit of a rain man where you like don't know the difference in price between a Ferrari and a whatever? Oh, like how much could a banana cost? $10? Right. That kind of way? Yeah. It's sort of the Kirk in Star Trek 4 question, like when they get the hundred bucks. Yeah. Is that a lot? This is the first scene where you get the sense that La'an has the hots for Kirk and kind of made me wonder why. Kirk is a very silly man <laughs> in every interaction with La'an. La'an does not seem silly herself, mm -hmm. but maybe that's the attraction. Yeah, he's silly, and that side Kirk was looking all right. Yeah, good looking side Kirk. So they're talking the next morning about like what they can do to solve this problem, like which timeline to save. And when she drops that Sam Kirk is alive in her timeline, you can see that that is pretty persuasive to him. In a way that perfect utopian future is not. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I could take my brother from your timeline into my total piece of shit timeline? <laughs> that would be the best outcome for me personally. He doesn't get a lot of time to process this or talk about what it means to him because a bridge in the background explodes as they're having this conversation. This bridge was conspicuous for a long time, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Not as surprising as I think maybe the episode thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, they run down there, and they're somehow like across the water looking back at Toronto when they're looking at the disaster site. They're seeing like chunks of the rubble being carted off. A big piece of uh, reinforced concrete is on a cart, and some people are pushing it toward a van. And this lady is taking pictures of it on a long lens, and they ask to see the photos. And uh, this proves that a photonic bomb is what destroyed the bridge. This is a technology that doesn't exist yet. These people are doing a bad job of doing their work in secret, I thought. 
You get all the first responder trucks. Here comes the meat wagon. And cars and uniforms and so forth. And then you've got like big black box van. (laughs) (laughs) And a gurney, not with a body in it, but with a big piece of debris. Yeah, yeah. At least put a sheet over the rock, right? (laughs) You don't want to look at this thing. It's a dismembered torso. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. Oh, it's so (laughs) brutal and bloody. New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, their MO is not that they're good. Mm. If they'd thought a little bit ahead, they would have stolen an ambulance earlier in the week. Great call. Yeah. They're not good. So Kirk and Laan want to chase this thing. And to do that, they hijack Vulcan style, the world's most subtle car. There it is. The Red Dodge Challenger is a real thrill to watch driving around Toronto. But when Kirk neck pinched its driver, what did they do with that birdie? They just like leaned him up against the fence. I kept expecting him to pop up in the back seat or something. <laughs> that would have been great. It was really Chekhov's neck-pinched body in my mind. <laughs> when was he going to turn up again? Yeah. They're chasing this van through Toronto. We learned that Kirk learned the Vulcan neck pinch while he was in jail for a while and had a Vulcan roommate. And he also learned how to make plomeek soup in the toilet. Talk about piquant, Adam. I doubt most people on Voyager would be able to tell the difference. (laughs) Right? No. Yeah. So uh, the other big revelation while they're chasing this car is when he mispronounces her last name. Noonien Sung Singh. Whatever. I thought this was a good joke because you sort of think it's going to be something about Data and his family. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it's not about that. It's about like, holy shit, he doesn't recognize my name. He comes from a future in which Khan wasn't a problem. Yeah. This is another reason that La'an is so into Kirk. To Kirk, she doesn't have any of the baggage. Very interesting. Very tempting. Yeah. So Kirk's conspicuous driving combined with driving all over the sidewalk in order to chase this black van combines to get him arrested. And he's arrested in front of the camera person they interacted with earlier to punch in on the piece of debris that should have been on a gurney under a sheet, maybe covered with fake blood or something. Yeah, she claims to be live streaming what is happening. Say hello to the entire very judgmental internet. Gets the cops to believe that this is a famous civil rights lawyer that they're hassling. And unlike any cop in the U.S., these Canadian police officers don't want smoke with the media. So they let him go. They let him off with a warning. Drive more carefully in the future. You think Sarah's going to be great. Just a great hang who's out to ride for the cause or whatever. And we learn a little bit more about her immediately because Kirk and La'an have left the red car behind. Yeah. That was another question I had. What happened to that car? <laughs> no one knows. And they start to get the download from Sarah about what her worldview is. Yeah, she was also chasing this van and was excited that they were about to find it. She believes that they may all be kind of working toward the same goal because the real threat, she tells them, is aliens. And 
this was a fake terrorist attack created by an international cabal that is trying to keep the existence of aliens secret and also Jews control the media. Trying to find the seams in the bunny suit. She's a real in the modern parlance free thinker. (laughs) Yeah. And I like how like Kirk is not picking up on that. (laughs) There's one really interesting thing about the formula she puts together for her worldview. And that is by keeping humanity down, down at the level of the interfighting and bullshit, you keep them down on the surface you keep them from the stars. And if you keep humanity from going into space, that's going to benefit some unknown entity. Really made me think about today. Mm. Who's trying to keep us down? It's like Soros, Soros, Kelpians? <laughs> Kirk's got to eat. Kirk is hungry the entire episode. And so in a diner... <laughs> Kurt gets down on real poutine. Yeah. It's delicious looking. This is amazing. Can you focus? I was surprised because I didn't think that they sold poutine before like 2.30 a.m. But uh, apparently they do. And uh, she's got like an iPad with just some like miscellaneous shit she's downloaded off the internet. But uh, one of those shits is a picture of a Romulan warbird. Yeah. And then another one is a picture of a guy like waiting around on the sidewalk, watching the bridge, uh, waiting for it to explode so that he can help load the rubble into a black panel van. So it does seem like she's on to something. Does one of the buildings she flips through look like the Kronauerx building? Oh, man. I didn't pick up on that, but if that happened, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool if it was. Let's just say that it was. Mm-hmm. It's in there. Bad things happen in the Kronoarex building. <laughs> I mean, those are people that are pushing humanity forward with all their future tech that they're slowly dripping and drabbing into right. the timeline, right? Yeah. My products benefit the entire world. What's good for Kronoworks is good for everybody. Interesting that Kirk doesn't clock this Romulan ship the way you think he would, right? Oh, I thought he did, because he has to explain what it is to La'an later. That moment goes by, and there's not like a dun-dun-dun to it. Right, they just swish past the Romulan ship. It kind of feels like there should be, though. Yeah, I I think it is a a poker face moment, because... um, Afterwards, he's explaining to La'an, like, oh, like, this is a past that we share. Like, the the timeline hasn't diverged yet, because I remember this thing after the explosion of the bridge. There was a cold fusion reactor that Mm -hmm. blew up, and and Sarah was just explaining how there's a cold fusion reactor powering this cabal's evil shit that they have going on in Toronto. And there's a sketchy-looking dude that I've got footage of hanging around both the building and the bridge before it exploded and so forth. So like one could assume from all of these things that Romulan time travelers Mm -hmm. are responsible for (laughs) all of these things. It's always a game of chess with them, isn't it? We need to score a lot of laps fast. (laughs) 
What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. 
Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trick. So they're talking and they're like, man, we got to come up with a way to detect a cold fusion reactor. If only we had a tricorder. That's Lon's fault. Yeah, she blew it. Yeah, because Kurt got grabby with her gadget. Who do they know who could make a device for them to detect cold fusion? La'an knows somebody in Vermont. I liked this a lot. And so after taking four buses and a cab to cover the eight-hour drive that it would take to go from Toronto to Vermont, they arrive at a storefront, and that is where Pelia lives and works. I think that crossing the U.S.-Canadian border without passports is maybe the most science fictional idea in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel great about Pelia's attention to detail. Like, say she's lived a thousand years. Seems like that could be the case. She couldn't write archaeology in... One line on her storefront, <laughs> like she had to hyphenate it. <laughs> I mean, she's fun. She's fanciful. I could never live an infinite amount of time because I would just get more and more focused on doing things exactly, exactly right. Everything has to be perfect. Maybe this is how she blends in. She's like, I'm, I have to look like a fuck up because everybody else is. So, you know. That's a great call. Yeah. It's part of the ledger demand of being a very long-lived person on earth in this time period so they meet her and they like talk their way into the store and they're like this is great we're from the future we all have secrets and you are a legendary engineer so why don't you go ahead and tell us how to build a tricorder or build us one yourself and she's like i don't i'm not an engineer what are you talking about I like how La'an plays both the good cop and the bad cop in one conversation, though. Kirk doesn't do too much here besides sip beer, but La'an is like, I know what you are and your dark secret, and I know where all of this stuff comes from, but also, wouldn't you like to save the future of humanity? Like, in basically the same statement. You can tell that this Kirk is really different because of the way he sips his beer. I thought for sure, setting the scene in Vermont would give us the heady topper or sip of sunshine product placement that great Vermont breweries deserve, you know? <laughs> but I can't place this blue beer bottle. No, it's just it's just anonymous beer. Star Trek has so few opportunities to show real beer <laughs> that I was blown away that they didn't take one here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. So diving watches are determined to be a thing that would light up when it's near fusion byproducts like tritium. Yeah. So they bust one open to expose the hands to air, and then they take that watch with them. Yeah, this is going to be a tritium detector. They could have gotten an 80s wristwatch, 
anywhere they wanted to in Toronto, but they had to illegally cross a border twice to get this one. <laughs> That's so amazing. Like, so much is made of their initial crossing. Nothing is made of the return trip. Yeah. Easy as pie. This is all still winning chess game money that they're using to bribe border guards. <laughs> Logistics aren't fun. <laughs> I mean, a person can poke a lot of holes into the logistics of this, but like if we were given all the logistics, we'd be like, God, this is so fucking boring watching them fill out these forms. Yeah. These two are starting to get sweet on each other. And it's clear that they've just been like wandering around Toronto pretty aimlessly looking at the watch moment to moment to see if the hands light up. Yeah. And it's clear getting even sweeter on each other than they already were. Yeah. Turns very flirty. (laughs) Yes. No. You don't know what Kirk's relationship situation is back on the ship, but it's probably not cheating if it's time travel, right? (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't count if you're out of your time-space continuum. Yeah. She wants to take him back with her, mainly... Because she's like not wanting to fall in love twice. She's like, it's it's really hard for me with other people. Yeah. It's just been really easy with you. So it would be great if you abandoned the entire universe you're familiar with to come with me. Is part of her plan that goes unspoken that La'an plans on murdering the Kirk in her timeline and replacing him with this Kirk? <laughs> for love? Yeah. Like for a second date, this is a pretty intense conversation to be having. Yeah. The hands are glowing, and that leads them inside a building they think could contain the cold fusion reactor. Like, they don't just get to make out here. Those glowing hands mean they need to stay on mission. Yeah. They discover, after watching somebody use a uh, palm scanner to get into this kind of secure part of the building, that they're at the Nunyan Singh Institute for Cultural Advancement. Yeah. Which means when she puts her hand on the scanner... It just works. It's surprising to her and to us when that happens. (laughs) But Sarah shows back up and she's traded her long lens photography rig for a gun. The revelation that she is a Romulan from the future is interestingly played because they handle it so differently from what we ever saw in Picard. Like Romulan in the past was a part of season two Picard. Yeah. A big deal was made about her appearance and how she covered up that appearance and so forth. I don't think you even see Sarah's ears at all, right? Due to the hairstyle. She's got a hairstyle that sort of reminds me of like dog ears. Right, exactly. I actually thought that was a dog, it did she? She knows Kirk. She knows his reputation. She knows all about him. Yeah. I love Kirk's move here. The, not arrogance, but just the confidence of this bluff. I thought it would work. I thought it would work. And everything we know about Jim Kirk, I think, is baked into this scene. That's what makes him getting shot so surprising to me. At least I was surprised. I thought there'd be no way she called this bluff. This is an expendable Kirk, though. This is a Kirk from a garbage timeline that we're going to throw away. I should have seen it coming for that reason, huh? Yeah. 
So it turns out that the Romulans are, in fact, the cabal that's trying to slow down human progress. I might be a weird Star Trek fan, Ben, but I don't like seeing Kirks die. <laughs> They'll love it. He doesn't even get covered in, in a, a cairn to mark his grave in this episode. He does tell Laan that it was fun. <laughs> that's a good feeling to go out on. And now Laan is sort of the hostage of Sarah, or probably Sa'era, right? Yeah. Is her real Romulan name. One thing you need to know about Sarah is that she shoots a firearm with an accuracy that you could only measure on 12 monkeys cops. <laughs> she is so good at shooting people. It's incredible. Oh, man. Shout out to the folks who stuck with us through Greatest Trek Spring Break. <laughs> yeah, that's a totally incoherent description to most people. <laughs> but if you watch that pilot episode of 12 Monkeys, holy moly. Yeah. The security people that have been sent to see what's going on just get mowed down. And instead of taking a right in the hallway to go to the cold fusion reactor, they take a left and go to the genetics area of the building where they find the door to Khan's bedroom. They've basically found themselves at the threshold to Kid Hitler's childhood bedroom here. And La'an is being asked specifically to uh, hold a pillow over his face or whatever. What is this, Kill Hitler Day? At this moment in time, did you want or not want to see Young Khan in there? I liked how long that they, they took without showing Young Khan. Yeah. And I liked that it was sort of an abstract moral dilemma for most of the scene rather than a specific kid. Yeah. I kind of wish they cyborged him. In retrospect, I I wish Laan never went into the door and I wish she never had an interaction. It would have been cool to see that he was there, but to not really get a good look at him or anything. Or like go the other way. Like he's super buff like you remember that <laughs> that bodybuilding kid that was in the news like how like, many years ago was that I, like i don't remember that little conan or something <laughs> little conan yeah he was a little kid and and he did bodybuilding i'm gonna look this guy up richard sandrak <laughs> also known as little hercules was a Ukrainian-born American former bodybuilder, martial artist, and actor. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, God. The FBI is going to knock on my door for having image-searched that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, you, you image-searched it. That's great. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? The greatest trend is yet to come. To come. How great would that have been if, like, Lil Khan opens the door and he's got, like, a, an extremely deep V and a fully defined pectoral area? Yeah. I'd love that. That would have been good. Like, and he's wearing a candy necklace. Right. He has a giant lollipop, but it's, like, that huge hoop of lollipops, but there's two of them, and they're, they form two sides of a barbell, and he's doing curls with it. And and like taking a lick when the when the barbell comes up to his mouth, little Conda's on the swing set getting pushed, and he's like, "Push me higher, higher!" Raise and him. the kid behind him's like, "I, I can't." can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we've come up with a pitch for Lil Khan. I, I think this is good. I think we should go to IDW and see if they'd, they'd let us do like a four book comic arc about Lil Khan. I absolutely have stories about Lil Khan. Ready to go. This is Classroom 5. <laughs> I will finger paint you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the the dilemma she's been presented with is like she's talked about the Scarlet Letter. the The fact that her last name is what it is has been a super painful part of her life for time of Miriam, and now she has an opportunity to undo all that. But she knows that it leads to a fucked up alternate timeline where it's not a utopia. Yeah. So it's a real, it's like a needs of the many kind of question, but it's also a like, you know, Hitler did bad things. We'll, if we kill Hitler, that's good. Right. And like how many externalities do you factor into your moral calculus? The actor who plays Sarah is so great in this episode because the way she persuades here feels like a totally different gear from the personality she presents the very first time in the episode and also in the diner and also outside the diner when she appears upset. I really like her work here. I thought she was great. And this moment before Laan fights her, I thought was spectacular. She's like, look, you could you could kill him. You You got a little device that blocks you from the timeline erasure that would surely happen if you prune that branch of your family tree. Just do it. Very persuasive, but they get in a great big Star Trek fight and Lon wins. And there was a, I think a missed opportunity here because Sarah like falls back into the room. Like at one point during the fight, the, the door to the bedroom opens. Mm-hmm. They're like fighting in the hallway and Sarah having been shot, falls back into this childhood bedroom of Khan Noonien Singh and like presses some kind of neck cyanide button that causes her to disappear like a, you know, I guess all these like Romulan special agents must have this. What if the camera had like followed around the corner to a small child being traumatized by seeing a dead body fall into his room and then vaporize. And like, that's what sets Khan off on the like crazy rampage that he winds up going on. I love that idea. It's an idea so good. You can't say that that's not what happened because you don't really see Khan until a minute or so later. It's clear that he's in the room hiding, but maybe he's hiding in such a way that he could see this. Yeah. Lil Khan is a, a cute little kid. He is very worried that La'an is there to murder him. And then it's like, wait, if you're not here to murder me, are you here to rescue me? And she's like, no, you're right where you need to be, kiddo. La'an gets close to him and wipes both the tears and Sarah's blood from his face and cake. Mm. Happy birthday to me. She's like, how many of you are there? And he points to a picture and there's seven. There's seven augments like him. Yeah. I got to believe that's going to be like a part of this season, right? Like finding the seven. Oh, maybe. Or were those seven the crew of the Reliant? I thought that that was the implication. Oh, shit. But I don't know. That's amazing. Yeah. She asks him, uh, you know, he has some like model 
spaceships on the headboard of his bed. And she asks him, like, where did you get those? And he goes, Botany Bay. (laughs) She's like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. God, that was so fucking good. God. The the little red button on her uh, time travel device turns green. Because she she did the mission, and the time travel device somehow knew that she did the mission. Yeah. And so she boops back, and she's she's like in the hallway, like nothing ever happened. I'm still stuck on ba- on eBay. <laughs> That's a joke that we did on stage during Greatest Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, but it's a callback. Doing it here. <laughs> Never been prouder to work with you Ben. <laughs> i got like two and a half hours of sleep last night so i'm doing my best really incredible moves <laughs> by you a little mop up on the episode uh she goes to the bridge and they're talking about the antiquities that pelia has and what the, whether they should like report them what's the starfleet security perspective on this and una and pike turn around and see what laan is wearing and they're like Jesus, speaking of antiquities, what are you wearing? They can hear her walk in because it's just leather squeak on leather squeak. <laughs> yeah, and those those like giant goth boots that she's wearing. <laughs> How about Laon becoming like Sarah, defending a person from an unjust arrest? Dang. Wow. Good for Laon. That's yeah. my film paper. Wow. <laughs> I like it a lot. She wants to let Pelia off the hook for that. And I think they have pretty good evidence that Pelia has owned that shit for a long time and may legitimately own it. Yeah. So you can tell the Louvre to stop calling me. I think she's right about the statute of limitations. Hmm. A temporal investigator pays her a little visit in her quarters and um, is like, yeah, you like did a great job on your mission. I know that was whack and not something that you wanted to get involved with, but you did the right thing. And you were kind of uniquely positioned to do the right thing. That was our guy. You know, we'd just really appreciate if you didn't speak a word of this to anyone. Don't you feel like the rewards should be better for doing a mission for the Department of Temporal Investigations? Because this agent's like, great job. You were enlisted in a very surprising way. You did the job, a job that was very difficult for you personally. You got to give me that thing, the device, and as a reward, keep the leather. (laughs) But I feel like the reward should be much, much better, right? Like, she literally saved humanity. Right. She unfucked the timeline. That That was a big deal. How about you give the Department of Temporal Investigations a bigger budget? Mm. Yeah. What does she just have to sell that leather jacket on eBay as like a priceless dead stock antique? Yeah. Then someone else could botany pay it. Yeah. There you go. Don't call your ex, Laon. Especially when you're upset. Uh, hi. Do I know you? Strange move by Laon, a character that we know to be reserved and buttoned up and secretive. Yeah. Blowing in this FaceTime to Lieutenant Kirk is pretty surprising. Kirk making a pass at her, not surprising. <laughs> no. Yeah, she sort of retcons a reason for the call, and it's like finding out something about Sam Kirk. He was also born 
in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Not Onkyo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's enough to bring on the waterworks. This episode ends with a long, ugly cry from Lahan Nunyan Singh. A really brutal moment and like such a tragic character beat. I was really surprised by this. Like, there's a lot of silliness in this episode, and it really ends on like a note of like utter pathos. Christina Chung is so good in this episode, but specifically this moment, right? Yeah. And the camera is so close to her face during this. It's really affecting. It's cathartic looking is what it looks like. And if it is a catharsis, I wonder if... It's going to change her behavior going forward. I do too. Did you like this episode? When we saw the trailer to this season, it looked like there was definitely a time travel element to it. But I thought it was going to be multiple episodes. Uh And I was surprised and delighted that this was just one self-contained story in a way that I should have known. Like Strange New World is episodically like that. And it was really neat to have such a broad story told so efficiently. I mean, time travel will give you a headache and your best to just avoid it or ignore it or whatever <laughs> Janeway wants you to do. And there are Miriam reasons why, you know, podcasts about Star Trek will poke all of the obvious holes in this that you could and you should yeah. with respect to the amounts of money necessary and the crossing of borders or whatever. But to ignore those things, I think, is to appreciate a really interesting story about a character we've barely really known in this series and the opportunity to give La'an her own episode to help us understand her better I think is great. It also represents, we're now almost a third of the way through this season, another episode where Pike is barely in it. Where like almost none of the crew is in it much. Yeah. I'm glad we got to go on this adventure with La'an, but it's also like if we're keeping score, a very interesting beginning of season for this show. It really is. And a, a strong season in my mind. What did you think of it? Yeah, it's definitely like past the point of being a a couple of interesting choices. It seems like very much like they are trying to do something really radically different with this season as far as what stories they tell and how they tell them. And so far, it's been really successful in my mind. I think they've been really superlative episodes, and this one is no exception. And I think the way I felt at the end was the... (laughs) you know, the thing that proved that to me. Like, I was teared up for La'an and the Mm -hmm. love deferred in this episode. Yeah. I mean, we barely know this character, like you said. So the the fact that they got us there in a single capsule episode that also included the, like, do you kill kid Hitler trolley problem (laughs) is fucking wild. Yeah. La'an does not. No. All Hitlers were kids at some point, right? Right. I mean, like, she does not, but also uniquely has to, like, live with more downsides of that than a lot of people in her timeline. Like, 
when she goes back, she does not get that Scarlet Letter taken off her record. Yeah, that's part of the tragedy. I mean, it's the loss of a person she got close to, but also the loss of the comfort that he provided and choosing to go back to the discomfort of that Scarlet Letter. Sad. I kind of wished Sarah hadn't died. I thought she was a really interesting character and really strong. Yeah. But I think also just a testament to what this show is capable of with its guest stars. Like they've kind of consistently brought in people that are doing really interesting stuff with the parts that they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good stuff. Nice to see Canada in an episode too. Fun. Finally, Canada gets some shine. Do you want to see if our Priority One inbox gets some shine on this episode? Oh yeah, let's see what we got over there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Mike from Baltimore and is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. I recently set all my social media accounts everywhere to (laughs) auto-destruct. Binging Greatest Trek has really helped soothe my withdrawal symptoms. Thanks for being my nicotine patch. (laughs) But I have a question that's been driving me crazy. WTF is a (laughs) denimoo. And that's spelled phonetically in a really hilarious way. I can't find it on the web, and now I can't ask anyone on social media. I'm going to spell it how it's actually spelled and let you look it up. Okay. D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T. That's for you, Mike, from Baltimore. Yeah. The subject of Miriam film papers. (laughs) I would say. Adam, our next priority one message here is from Ryan from Sacktown. It's to us. goes like this. I love your spring break episodes of Greatest Trek. And I just wanted to express my thanks and say, I hope you keep finding fun, creative ways to expand the show. I think you've come up with a great way to make breaks in the new Trek into something special, and I hope you keep it going. would also take a bar rescue recap slash drinks pod. Ooh. How nice is that to hear from Ryan? I know before we hatched the spring break plan, there was a bit of conversation among Uxbridge Shimoda about, like, is this too weird? (laughs) Is this too uh, off the playing field for us? But I think ultimately the choice to get weird was the right one. And I hope it means we can continue to get weird in the future. We had a lot of fun doing that. Um, Listen, I'm not mad about what we did. I regret nothing. I do think that Picard Season 3 deserves a Larkin Awards at some point. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe that will happen. Maybe it will never happen. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it never happening. <laughs> I could also see it happening. I know. It's a, it's the mind boggles. But, yeah, we, we had a ton of fun doing that. And I like the idea of actually, like, trying some of the fucking drinks that they make on Bar Rescue. But yeah, that would mean we'd have to buy a lot of, like, Crown Royal apple flavor or some shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> but uh, already thinking of fun ideas for the next opportunity to have a spring break. And if you have any of those, maybe you put them in a priority one message. You can do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and uh, filling one out today. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm not the guy. 
Larkin. I don't feel like a character has Larkined as hard as Kirk does in this episode in a long, long time. <laughs> he goes back for a second hot dog. He eats poutine. Yeah. He pays for a hotel room in cash. I feel like it's, if you want to pay cash, it's more expensive too, right? It's pretty hard to get a hotel room without showing ID these days. So Yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of cash. I think he did that thing where like when you go to Vegas, you like put some money on the counter and you're like, if you have any upgrades available, I'd, I'd love to take care of you. Maybe that is his way of getting a room without an ID. Mm, yeah, maybe so. There was a lot of speculation about what does it mean when people saw Kirk going through the revolving door in the trailer and explain mm-hmm. he didn't know how to do that because he's from space canonically yeah not where kirk is from no i'm from iowa i only work in outer space and the fans freaked but uh i loved the explanation and i loved the i think the guy that plays kirk has some good physical comedy chops like he did a great job in this episode hey this kirk is good at drinking beer in the way that the kirk from that's what i was saying you were too busy talking about fucking microbreweries in Vermont to take me up on that comedic opening. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go there. <laughs> I finally put it together. <laughs> Are we having a tired measuring contest? You're definitely winning. Oh. But mentally- Brother, I am winning. I'm definitely losing. <laughs> I think I've just come full circle. Yeah. And I'm like punchy tired. Oh, Fun. Well, we got to get out of here, Adam. That's uh, a daily double for our Edward Larkin. And uh, we only have one more segment. Do you want to pick a warning bois to share with the folks? That's right, Ben. Warning bois are an important part of the culture that surrounds our podcasts because we don't want everyone to listen. No. We just want the right people to listen, people who get us. And that's why warning boys are great. They both attract potential FODs, and repel those who would hate what we've done here. Yeah, so go ahead and share about the show on social media. Put your fun spin on it and tag at Greatest Trek, and maybe you'll show up here on the seg. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. I'm going to go with a very unusual warning buoy here from Ryan Rock on Twitter. This message goes like this. Have you guys ever considered how much Adam's Charles Bronson impersonation seems very Carl Sagan-ish? <laughs> Maybe it's Adam doing an impression of Carl Sagan doing an impression of Charles Bronson, and I never got it. Huh. Shrug emoji. If you want to bake a pie first, you got to go on a killing rampage. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a delicious pie. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Ryan Rock. I sent them a message. I hope other folks will share on social media about the show. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in to Greatest Trek. Tell a friend. Yeah. See you next Friday. Bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week is Season 2, Episode 4 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's called Among the Lotus Eaters. We'll have the network's logline for that at the end of Monday's Greatest Generation. And of course, Ben and Adam will be back in this feed with that review next Friday.
All of the original music for this show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Thank you to the current members who are supporting the ongoing production of Greatest Trek. Members get monthly bonus content from Uxbridge Shimoda and the entire network of Max Fun shows. You can get access to all of that bonus content by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.